The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 100 and... Not 100, gosh, it's 98. <laughs> we're really close to 100. I know, we're really Chris. close to 100. That's what it is. But uh, the 100 mark is usually the mark where, you know, I've stopped some shows. So hopefully that doesn't happen here. But we'll have to do something special in a couple episodes. But I'm Shannon V, of course. Fish Sticks joining me as always. What's up, buddy? Hello, hello. Big day for Overwatch news yeah. and gameplay. I'm actually really excited for today. It's going to be a phenomenal day of esports action. Absolutely. And a phenomenal day to discuss esports, too. And, of course, if we're going to be discussing esports, and it's a particularly Overwatch League, we've got to have Jacob Wolf, ESPN Insider, on with us. What's up, Jacob? How's it going? Good. Good. Busy week. <laughs> Yeah, uh, needless to say, my messy house behind me, it's uh, a little ashamed, but I, like, haven't really left the house. I've been out of the house maybe, like, once this uh, this entire week, aside from taking the dog out. So it's, like, I've been kind of a hermit. I ordered in groceries this morning, and it's just like, that's that's my life. <laughs> when duty calls, man, that's, that's what you got to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, so definitely plenty to talk about. Uh, Interflame Joe Elowasi also will be joining us a little bit later. So uh, he's going to be, you know, obviously talking a lot about the mayhem stuff that's been going on, or just just generally in season one. We'll get a recap of everything in season one with the mayhem. Uh, but th- today we've got lots of Overwatch League news with expansions and and player moves. You know, we haven't done the show in a few weeks, so there's a bunch of player <laughs> moves that uh, we're going to want to be talking about. Uh, and then we've got Overwatch World Cup contenders. So, uh, and I think that's it, right? <laughs> I don't think we have any actually game talk today. So that's mostly going to be news, but there's a ton of it to talk about. So um, why don't we get started? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so let's talk expansions, given that, that you know, we've got Jacob here, and Jacob obviously has been uh, on top of... You know, reporting uh, obviously teams, maybe two two teams at a time, as they they were basically getting confirmed from sources. But uh, today, you know, Blizzard officially announced the the eight teams uh, that are going to be added to Overwatch League. But Jake, I'm just going to hand it to you. Why, why don't Why don't you uh, kind of take us through this segment a bit? Yeah. So the new cities in. So I guess like I'll break down city and then break down owner. Sure. Uh, so it's. Um, in North America, it's Vancouver, which is owned by the Aquilini Group, which is the ownership of the Vancouver Canucks and the Rogers Arena, a uh, hockey team in the corresponding arena in Vancouver. In Toronto, it is uh, Splice and Overactive Media, as well as backing from the Kimmel family, which are a wealthy Canadian family in, um, in Canada. They... Uh, they own a bunch of different companies across, like, hospitality. Chase Hospitality Group is one that uh, Michael Kimmel owns. Um, his brother owns a company called Harlow Capital, who are involved. There's another company that his uncle owns called Westdale Properties, and his parents are very large uh, Canadian wealthy philanthropists. So they are backing Splice and Overactive in this purchase, uh, which is a $35 million slot purchase. Um, in Washington, D.C., there's a bunch of, uh, there's, like, four really different parties involved. Um, so Mark Ein, who is the owner of the Washington Castles, which are a team tennis team in Washington, D.C. And he also runs a company called Capital Investment Corp. 4, 
which are based in New York and Washington, D.C., and they are involved. The guy that runs that for him, Dyson Dryden, is also an investor. And then also there's another company called Artist uh, Artist Capital Management, which are based in New York and have some ties to some of the big sports owners in D.C. They're affiliated and friends. Um, so that is uh, the D.C. team. And then in Atlanta, which is confirmed about a month ago, yep. is Atlanta Esports Ventures, which is a uh, company backed by Cox Enterprises, the giant media conglomerate, Cox Cable, Cox Internet uh, in the Southeast. And then they are run by a company called Province Inc., who are a consulting firm based off out of Las Vegas. So that's our North American yeah, team. Yeah, that's North America. So like, moving over to Europe. Right. So Europe, there's only one team. Yep. Um, it is Paris. And from my understanding of like reading the interviews today, it is basically all of France. Um, as part of that region, which is how it works. Like the Mayhem own almost all of Florida, the Spitfire own almost all of England. Um, you usually own your state and maybe even surrounding states if you buy like a smaller area. Um, so that's, uh, in Paris, it's owned by a company called DM Esports, which is a new entity. I think a lot of people were confused because the communication was pretty bad around what this is. Um, DM Esports is the esports company owned by the McCourt family, um, specifically Frank McCourt, who is the former owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he's the current owner of the Los Angeles Marathon and Olympic de Marseille, the soccer team in France. That's the connection to France. Um, his son, Drew McCourt, which is what DM stands for, is the <laughs> one that is leading it. And Drew is also uh, very involved in McCourt Global, which oversees all their real estate holdings. A little bit of background on them. They... Um, Frank is originally from Boston and made a lot of his come up by uh, made a lot of his come up as a financer by buying parking lots across multiple sports arenas. And parking lots are actually wow. a pretty big money making business. So he owns parking lots all across like Boston and Los Angeles and, and other things. Well, he still owns uh, a portion of the parking lot outside the Dodger Stadium, even though he doesn't own the Dodgers anymore. Um, and so he. Used to own the Dodgers. He bankrupted the Dodgers while they were the highest selling team in all of uh, traditional baseball. Um, <laughs> they were selling more tickets than everyone else. They were incredibly wow. popular, and he bankrupted them um, by, from my understanding, and I was not a sports reporter at the time, leaning other loans uh, with the Dodgers as collateral, oh. which the MLB had to bail him out. Uh, and the Dodgers are now owned. Yeah. The Dodgers are now owned oh. by a group like Peter Goober, Magic Johnson, and Guggenheim Baseball. Um, so, yeah, that's that's DME Sports. Uh, and then in Asia, there are three new Chinese teams. Um, there is Chengdu, which is owned by Huya, which is a multi-billion dollar streaming platform. Uh, it's a Twitch competitor in China, uh, since Twitch is not necessarily in China at this point, at least on that level. Um, so Huya and Douyu are the two biggest streaming sites in esports there in China. Huya uh, received $461 million of investment from Tencent in March. Um, and they are also a public company on uh, the New York Stock Exchange. I believe they're worth about $3.52 billion. Pretty big deal. Um, that's oh. the Chengdu owner. And uh, Hangzhou, there's another uh, streaming and media company called Billy Billy. Um, Billy Billy is essentially, I would compare it for Western viewers to like Crunchyroll or Funimation. Um, they're an anime and uh, recently got into esports a couple months ago. Anime and esports media content website um, that does streaming and VODs and things like that. 
Um, they're the Chinese equivalent to, to those two companies. And then lastly is the Ninking Group, who own Guangzhou. The Ninking Group is uh, probably the, I would say, the least wealthy of all of the Chinese ownership here. Um, I think Billy Billy is worth around $2 million. The owner of the Ninking Group is worth about a billion dollars, last I looked, um, and his net worth. And I mean, that's still a lot of money, but when you think about how much you're paying for these franchise fees, that's almost like a 20th of his wealth, which is a lot of money um, when you sponsor, uh, sponsor an Overwatch League team. So, I mean, comparatively, this is a big investment for them. They are the owners of the Guangzhou Long Lions, which is the Chinese Basketball Association team there. Um, and that is your eight owners in the Overwatch League. There you go. There's a very nerdy breakdown <laughs> of not just the teams, but the ownership groups behind them. You yeah. know, as as folks that uh, are part of the esports industry, it's yeah. it's really fascinating to see over the last couple of years all of the mainstream sports uh, owners that are coming into the space. And now, obviously, we've got multiple uh, U.S. stock exchange traded uh, uh, Chinese companies coming in. So it's, it's fascinating to see where this money is coming from and exactly who is investing in this Overwatch League. And again, Jacob, I think it, it was you that originally reported that the, the buy-in fee is now something like 35 to 60 million. Is that is that correct? Yeah, so Toronto Toronto was sold for 35 for sure. And I think every it scales up from there. Uh, so I think the American teams were a little bit more than that. I think the Chinese teams were probably the most expensive of all of them um, because there was a little bit of contention there. There were other Chinese buyers that wanted in. Um, you know, if they would have sold four or five Chinese teams, I think they probably could have if they really wanted to. Um, what's really interesting to me about this round versus last one, I think last year changed a lot of things in esports because the North American LCS and the Overwatch League were franchising and and uh, recruiting these buyers. Last year, we saw a lot of big buyers who kind of their money all came from the same pit. So like you had people like uh, the, the yeah. Kraft family and the Kroenke family and Comcast Spectacore and these like very big companies that bought in last year, but they're all like wealthy, right? So like the Kroenke's who own the Gladiators, their money comes from Stan Kroenke, the husband being an incredibly wealthy real estate manager. And uh, his wife is the heir to the Walmart fortune. Uh, uh, his wife, who is of the Walton family that founded Walmart. Um, the Kraft family, also a very similar story of like very uh, successful in real estate and manufacturing. Uh, on the New England Patriots and have for many years, New England Revolution. It's all the same type of money. It all comes from the same spot. Um, and then like Comcast Spectacore is the owner of tons of venues around the U.S. They also own the Philadelphia Flyers and now they own the Philly Fusion. Um, so it's all from the same spot. That's not the case this year. This year, I think, and it's part of that is because of the price um, and the price being so much higher than last year. It's almost double um, in, at the lowest end and, and almost triple at yeah. the highest end. Yeah. Um, and because the price is so high, I think that a lot of people got very creative. We saw a lot of creative solutions. So Splice is the only endemic who has an ownership stake in one of these teams at this point. And that is, but they only own 10% of that team. And that's because they have to be creative. You have to have people like the Kimmel family who have billions of dollars to invest in this for you because it's so expensive. You have to look at relative worth, right? So like if, if you're Zhang Zhang who owns the Guangzhou team and you're worth a billion dollars, and you're spending $50 million, $60 million on Overwatch, that's a 20th of your wealth. That's a lot of money. Like, it's asking for a 20th of what you have in your bank account. And for any of us, I think that's a lot of money. Um, 
And so I think it's really important to look at it that way. And all of these are creative. The only one that is not incredible, the only like few that are not incredibly creative are Paris, uh, Vancouver, Paris, Vancouver, and I guess who he, well, even who he is a little creative because of the tense of thing, but like uh, probably Paris, Paris, Vancouver, and I would say Hangzhou are the only ones that are not like incredibly creative on their financial structure. All the others are. And, and, and when uh, you say creative, you basically mean there's a lot of collaboration between different parties. Some mm-hmm. some are taking on different responsibilities and investment coming from multiple angles, right? Correct. Yeah. So like it's not it's not all one person, all one all one type of money, all from the same source. It is a bunch of people throwing in different amounts of money, structuring different things. Um, and it's it's I don't want to say it's like a negative because it certainly has provided some very interesting opportunities. Uh, they confirmed today that Toronto hired Chris Overholt, who's the former head of the Canadian Olympic Committee. Like, he's one of the most decorated people in all of sports in Canada, and he now runs the Toronto Overwatch League team. He's their CEO. Like, it's a big deal, and that is because they were creative. They did go f- find other investors. They did kind of build out this network, because every time you bring in one of these venture capital groups or one of these billionaires, you come up with these you come up with these connections that are to them. So like the DC team, for example, uh, they said in their press release today that one of their uh, supporters or whatever was their official word is Events DC. Events DC owns one third of an arena that's built in St. Elizabeth right now that that arena was built with esports in mind. It's uh, for the Washington Mystics and the Capital City Go-Go, which are the WNBA, the G League teams in, in DC. But like they're hosting Red Bull Battlegrounds here in November. And the fact that they're even affiliated with the DC team makes it pretty clear that like that arena is probably going to be where the DC team right. plays when they geolocate. And so you have all these very like creative solutions where last year I feel like you didn't. It was just either endemic esports teams taking on more money to buy this slot or uh, non-endemics who just had billions. Well, I mean, I, I think be- because of this creativity, we, you know, we're seeing eight teams, you know. We were talking four to six teams not that long ago, and you know we weren't actually sure if we were going to get to six. But going to eight, I almost feel like they potentially could have added more, and they just decided to cut off at eight. Because um, you know, one thing we don't see here is we don't see a Korean team here, and uh, you know we we did see somebody post an article about or some type is it a post or an article here that uh, basic oh it's actually a a, a tweet. From Overwatch, uh, Nairi, that the the Korean team was close, but they just didn't get the the deal done in time to, I guess, make it into season two. So it sounds like at least season three, we'll definitely see another Korean team, uh, you know, in the next expansion. But um, but yeah, so you know, eight teams. That's that's pretty impressive. You know, clearly Overwatch League season one was a success, and people saw it as a success and Blizzard's sales teams could obviously or watch Overwatch League sales team was uh, had you know the ability to sell to even more people and um, the fact that there's three new Chinese teams people are probably wondering why are there so many new Chinese teams or maybe in the back of their heads or they're wondering even though they, they kind of know that there's a lot of people there um, the main reason guys is because half the viewership came from China for <laughs> Overwatch League so it completely makes sense that you know, China would be obviously a huge market for Overwatch League, and there should be a lot of teams there. Uh, I think what's really interesting, you were talking about the other Asian teams, is you have to think about uh, you have to think about money and the way people spend money. So I I wrote a column on this in February, and I think it's still very true to this day. Is a lot of your investors that buy into this are from three nationalities. 
um, and they are either American, Chinese, or, or Middle Eastern, um, or I guess three ethnicities. And and that the reason that is is because one, they tend to have a higher wealth than a lot of the other smaller countries. The more people you have in the country, the more you can, uh, the more you can, I guess, produce commerce and produce demand for whatever product you sell, whether that be a streaming website or whether that be arenas that you're hosting, you're selling tickets and whatever it may be, right? And so the, those investors tend to one have a lot more money, um, and that's why you see like the Paris team is owned by an American, right? Mm -hmm. The London team owned by Americans. It's it's why there's a problem in Europe because Europe are smaller countries. They don't, the football teams uh, in Europe are not massively wealthy. Uh, they are, but they're, and they're worth a lot, but like not all of them are. Only the really top, top of the line in each country are. Um, and therefore it presents this kind of different investment mentality when you have less money and when you, you're more conservative with how you spend it. That is not the case in America because venture capital, things in Silicon Valley, San Francisco and surrounding areas is like the, the mindset is we spend a lot and we hope to make a return. Um, in China, it's very similar. They have a lot of wealth um, and they like to kind of put it wherever they, they may be. In this case, there are three Overwatch teams. In the Middle East, there were definitely some Middle Eastern buyers who uh, negotiated with Blizzard and were in some of these the thick of these discussions. And there were last season as well didn't work out, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised next year if we saw a Middle Eastern team in like Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates, because they also have a lot of wealth from oil and other industries. Um, so in Europe and other parts of Asia, you heard rumors of like Bangkok, there was definitely a group talking about that. It was a money issue at the end. You heard rumors of Busan, you heard rumors of Melbourne, all of that came down to money. Like it, it strictly came down to like, how can we structure this to make sure we can afford it without really hurting our business? Um, and it's much harder in other parts of the world that aren't the U.S. Uh, the U.S. or Canada. Uh, even Canada is a little shaky uh, in certain parts, but like the U.S., China, and the Middle East. Those are the really the only three places, I think, where Overwatch League buyers will come from. All right, Jacob, you broke down kind of the why we got the teams that we that we have in this current, uh, you know, this next season. We got eight new teams at the 35 to $60 million range. You kind of talked about the why. Let's talk about the emotional piece. There's a huge elephant in the room that we have to discuss here. Uh, maybe two elephants, but number one for me, and you're seeing this all over Reddit and social media right now, is the lack of European teams. Obviously, season one, we only had one European team with London. Season two, you know, we're we're, pray, we're praising our lucky stars that we got another European team. I think Paris is a great choice given how many talented uh, French players there are in the scene. But only one new European team added to the list where we have three more in China, a couple more in North America. Uh, you know, obviously, for all the reasons you discussed previously, you know, there's a lot less VC money floating around in Europe right now. The countries are individually a lot smaller than, for instance, China or the US. But it still sucks to be a European fan for season two uh, and see this list of eight teams with only one European team in there, given just how much of the Overwatch player base and fan base is European in the end. It, it, it's kind of a bummer. So, you know, we, we talked about the why, but let's get a little bit of emotions run out here. Uh, it, it does kind of suck to see that, that there's only one European team, right? It does suck. And I think that Overwatch did themselves, the Overwatch League did themselves kind of a retro retrospective disservice by selling London almost the entire country of England. Um, because oh, yeah. I 
because then like you have there's a little bit harder when you sell it in someone's region you saw uh, the first time this has been seen publicly is the whole fan meet thing that the spitfire wanted to do in seoul and that they had to get permission because uh the dynasty owned the regional rights right so there are regional rights they cover a part of it and the spitfire own almost all of england a lot of the people that i think you'll be seeing investing in esports in the next 18 months in europe are british or they're British organizations funded by Americans, funded by Middle Eastern uh, investors, right? You think of like Manchester City, they have their investment group, City Football Group is from the Middle East. Um, you think of Manchester United, the, the people in these EPL teams, like they're funded by people who own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and live in New York. You like you think of Fulham, also owned by the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. A lot of these English Premier League teams have a ton of money and I would expect many of them to invest within the next 18 months into something. Um, and unfortunately, by selling their entire region to one team, you essentially have kept yourself from doing it in the future. And you can't sell other cities in, well, in England very easily. You can, but not easily. So, how, I mean, how many teams are we talking about in the end, you know, for Overwatch League? We're not going to have 100 Overwatch League teams, right? So, I mean, is that really... An issue. I mean, given that we have to look at market too, right? Like where the actual Overwatch League market is now. Uh, hopefully, in the future, we have everybody in the world, right, watching Overwatch League and and our Overwatch fans. But right now, you know, they're they're obviously um, taking a look at at how the market's distributed globally too. And that's kind of what I was saying about you know China. Right? Uh, clearly, half the viewership comes from China. So, you know, there should be obviously more teams in China because of that. In, in Europe, I mean, I don't know what that looks like in Europe. Like maybe maybe it isn't as high as we think it is, you know, and and that might be a reason. Um, again, it doesn't mean that like in the future it won't be, but right. maybe just currently right now, like like for to, to me to me honestly, Jacob, like I, I would think it would be weird to have like multiple UK teams right now. That would seem weird to me, I even though I know even though I know there's a lot of football teams there, you know, like f soccer teams there, but it would just seem strange to me to have like two two teams in the UK. I mean that that would I, when Europe's so big, like I think it I think. I mean, they did, so I, I want to make it very clear. Blizzard tried to get the rest of Europe. I saw people, I saw people from German organizations at the suite level of the Barclays Center in July. And they were like, put it this way, G2 Esports was there. And they were in discussion for Berlin at one point. And it didn't work out in the end, obviously. Like, a, all the teams are confirmed for the next season. And... They tried to sell in the Nordic region. I mean, uh, yeah. Pete Vlasilika gave an interview that published this morning with the Washington Post where he said Europe is next. And he's like, we have to focus on it. He's like, China was this year and Europe is next. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're going this next year. So this year in expansion is still, I feel, running off the hype of the Overwatch League. Last year was nothing but hype. Anyone who bought an Overwatch League team among the first 12 was literally just over the moon for, with hype. And the reason that is is because uh, the reason that is is because there was no product. You couldn't sell against a product. There was nothing to show someone. All there was was a deck of like, here's who we're hiring. This is what we want to do. This is what it looks like. All there were were decks. Um, this year, you have your first production. You have what it looked like at Barclays, which was great. You had what it looked like in Burbank and LA, which was also great. And so now you can sell someone on like, look, we're building this burgeoning thing. This year, the Overwatch League spent a lot more money than they anticipated on production, on marketing. They went way over their budget. The way their revenue sharing pool works is that they have to cover their own costs before the, the teams get paid. 
They couldn't do that this year. Teams are not going to get a payout this year, right? The the first twelve. And we to be clear, like they they sold yeah. they sold a lot of sponsorships. The Overwatch League is so much better at selling sponsorships than literally any other league in esports. Oh, really? They were doing almost some of their deals are almost three times the amount of what Riot Games is selling for the North American LCS. They are great at that. They had something like eleven sponsors throughout the season. And they're not small deals. You have people like HBO and Intel spending 10 to $20 million on some of these things for two years. A lot of these deals are structured to be two-year deals. And I'm very curious what happens when they expire. Do people like HBO and do people like Twitch, right? Uh, do people like ESPN? Do they feel like, and I, to be clear, I don't work in the programming side of ESPN, but like, do the... These companies, all of them, when these deals expire, do they feel like they're worth renewing? Do they feel like the Overwatch generates enough viewership to actually lead people to their product, to get them to sign up for Spotify, to get them to buy HPO Mint products, to get them to buy Intel processors, whatever it may be, right? Do they feel like that's worth it? And that's why Season 3 expansion, to me, is so different, because right now it's hard to tell. I think everybody expects... Uh, the Overwatch, everybody expected the Overwatch League to be in the red in the first season. They expected <laughs> yeah. them to spend way more money than they should have. They went way over their budget and they couldn't, like, it's it's not only those franchise fees that are helping pay for that, it's Activision Blizzard's own money as well. They're a multi-billion dollar company. So, next time, when we're, this time next year, when we when they're on their, like, summer track or their road show, is what they call it, where they do their little tour around the world and they pitch people, I think a lot of people are going to be digging for information on what these sponsor thinks. Because if the sponsors are out, I don't think expansion in season three is going to go very well. But if the sponsors renew and like even for even more money, and the streaming broadcast rights go from like ninety million with Twitch, maybe to hundred million plus for multiple years, I think that a lot of people will be interested. And I think because of the way European investors think in particular, that they need to see that return. Because they, again, they aren't super big capital. And a lot of the football teams in particular in Europe are uh, partly like government owned or part, partly uh, owned by the people, right? Like, and they are very big fan service types of folks. Mm-hmm. And so it's incredibly important that, that there is some sort of financial stability. Right now that does not exist. And there's a lot of people in China and the US that are willing to take the bets on that one, that it will one day exist and get in at a smaller price and make a bigger return in the end. But I think a lot of these people are, are playing the wait and see game. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point about sponsorship revenue and other forms of revenue actually flowing into the league. Uh, because my initial gut reaction when I heard that eight teams had been confirmed at the higher price point of 35 to $60 million is those teams that signed up for year one that took that big $20 million risk are probably grinning ear to ear right now because (laughs) their $20 million investment is now potentially worth 1.5, 2x, even 3x the amount that they initially paid for it if they do uh, want, if they're considering it like an investment that they might eventually sell or just an asset that that they own. So in my head, I'm thinking, wow, these guys have got to be really happy and I'm sure that they are right now. But I think your point about looking at sponsorship and alternative forms of revenue moving into season three, it, I think that's a very, very good point that if those forms of revenue don't really materialize, are we going to see $35 million buy-ins? Are we even going to see $20 million buy-ins? Uh, but right now, certainly, it's looking like those investments have paid off for, for season one teams. 
Yeah. I think that overall, there are two types of owners in the Overwatch League. I think you have your, what I call the legacy owners, um, the ones that own sports teams for years and years, and they pass them down children to children. Those are the Kraft family, the Cronkies, Comcast Spectacores of the world, where, like, they aren't venture capital companies that like to flip assets, right? They like they like to keep them, and they like to have them. It's part of their name that keeps them incredibly relevant and with different audiences, right? Like, the Kraft family, like, if you're not a football fan, and a, a, I would say MLS fan, but definitely, if you're not a football fan, like, Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft aren't on your radar. They're known because they're in the Patriots, right? And they're known because every time the Patriots raise Super Bowl trophy, they're right there on stage <laughs> with them. Yeah. And I think that's part of why Overwatch is appealing because this is a fan base that doesn't watch football. It's a fan, fan base that doesn't watch soccer in some cases. They are now, as companies, have a huge audience reach to a much younger audience. The Kraft family are now relevant because of the Boston Uprising to these people that are in esports. Same thing with the Cronkies with the Gladiators. Same thing with Spectacore with, with uh, the Fusion. So they're the legacy owners. I think they won't flip these assets unless something dire happens, right? Unless they, like, go to hell and the, and the league bankrupts or something. Like, if that, if that, if that's probably the worst-case scenario with a very small percentage. Uh, if that ever were to happen, that would probably be the only time you see people liquidating their assets like that. But then you have your venture capital companies, people like Immortals, uh, your people like Energy. Your new people, like the DC team and the way that they're structured, your new people, like the Toronto team and the Atlanta teams, they like to sell assets. They like to flip businesses and make them for more. And if you're, I don't think now's the time to cash out, but the higher the buy-in prices get year over year and the more valuable and rare these assets get, your asset increases. That's why it's important to know the buy-in prices if you're an existing owner that bought in last year. Because what if one day we get to $100 million, $200 million buy-ins, and you only spent 20 Well, you can turn around and sell yours. It's already established. Right, exactly. And that's why, and it's a separate, that's one of the parts of the Overwatch League that's interesting. It's a separate entity. Uh, it's not, it is a separate entity. It has a separate name. Part of that reason is because if you were to sell your other organization, like say Immortals were to sell Immortals and MIBR, but didn't want to sell the value, they could do that. Or vice versa. They wanted to just sell the Valiant, but they didn't want to sell Immortals or MIBR. That's that's the uh, the right or like that's the benefit of it being a completely separate entity is you don't have to do any of that weird rebranding. It's already there. So if you're you know the Valiant or the Gladiators or whatever it may be, any of the existing teams, and you get to a point where these things are selling for two hundred million, you can sell your thing for more than two hundred million because the people buying into at two hundred million are only buying a slot. You can sell your thing. It's an organization. You have a house. You have a complex. You have whatever you may be that you've established over the years. You can sell it for 250 300 400 whatever it may be, right? It's a valuable asset at that point. Yeah. And so there are two different types of owners. I think the ones that like want to keep it forever and want it to be a part of their, their uh, family business portfolio for a long time. And then there's people that want to flip the asset. And I think there's both in the Overwatch League. Yeah, I don't think we'll see that crazy increase in value you know, for these spots until... I mean, we'll definitely be seeing the increase up and up, but the moment that they actually stop, you know, taking in a bunch of teams and, and the existing spots are obviously uh, become somewhat of the only spots available moving forward, then I think that's when you'll start seeing these, these flipping opportunities come up for some of these teams and, you know, maybe crazy amounts of money, you know, being offered and, and we, we actually see some folks actually take up, you know, take these businesses up on it. Um, but okay, well, anyways, why don't we uh, why don't we move on? We still got a lot to talk about, obviously, this show. So um, why don't we talk about just a bunch of Overwatch 
league player additions and releases, obviously mostly releases given that, uh, you know, all this whole um, signing period, you know, for each of the teams um, uh, expired, you know, so basically all the teams had to either protect, you know, the players that they wanted this season or they had to basically release them, you know, and um, we saw uh, basically every team make some changes in regards to releasing players. And I don't know, Ben, you want to kind of go through each of them? And then we yeah. can kind of... I'll yeah, the, um, uh, we don't even have enough time in, in the show to really yeah, analyze yeah, yeah. every single move here. So I'm going to just read through uh, what's been announced so far. It's mainly a, a lot of players have been released. We haven't seen any signings, really. Um, I think one of the only kind of transfers that has been announced so far is Fisher is is going from the Gladiators to Soul Dynasty, which I don't think they, I think that happened after our last show. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it's just a ton of people being dropped, which is you know, Bible thumps in the chat. Everyone's everyone's sad about it uh, because, you know, a lot of these legacy players and legacy teams are no more. But I'm just going to go ahead and run through what we have so far. Uh, the Shanghai Dragons unsurprisingly released eight of their players. Uh, the players that are still on the team, Gaguri, Fearless, and Dia. I think this is an interesting one because you'd certainly expect Addo out of anyone to be like one of the players that they would keep. So I'm curious to see where Addo goes for sure. Uh, Mayhem dropped the majority of their team, and we actually are going to have uh, the chief gaming officer from uh, the, the Florida Mayhem coming on the show later today to kind of talk about that. So much more coming down the road on that one. Soul Dynasty. This one is uh, it was kind of like not really super surprising, but still a big shock to see Miro drop from the team before Overwatch League Season 1. A lot of people said Miro's the best main tank in the game, um, mm -hmm. and, and he certainly had a very disappointing season. Guido and Wikid have also been dropped. No big surprises there for me. Those, those two definitely underperformed the season as well. Shock with maybe the least surprising roster news uh, – <laughs> Probably of the of, of, yeah. of the off season so far. Dak, Nomi, and IDDQD have been dropped. Of course, IDDQD played one game the entire season. Um, Gladiators let go of Irie Mix, Asher, and Silk Thread. This one is interesting to me because that leaves Gladiators with just uh, uh, Hydration and Surefor on the DPS role. So I'm I'm curious to see if they're going to be adding any DPS players during the off season. Um, NYXL drops Janice. Not a big surprise there either. Fusion uh, drops Shadowburn, Joe Meister, and Dayfly. Uh, mm -hmm. Not a huge surprise about Sh Joe Meister and Dayfly. Shadowburn really didn't get a lot of play this season. And it just makes you wonder, is Shadowburn even... Can he find a starting spot on any roster? I mean, obviously we have eight teams uh, coming into the next season of OWL, but really curious to see if he's going to make it into an OWL team or if he'll... Be in contenders next season. We we don't really know that. Outlaws draw fact drop fact fiction. Mendo and Clockwork will take on new roles with Mendo being a streamer, Clockwork taking on more of a coaching role. Fuel, Fuel drops Chipsigen, uh, Chipsian, uh, and, and Coco will move to a coaching role. Uh, and I want to I want to point this one out because for me this is the biggest surprise and kind of weirdest release uh, is Boston. The Boston Uprising drop mistakes. Um, you know, if you didn't watch super closely, I'll just give you a refresher. Mistakes came in in the clutch. He was never supposed to be a starter for this Boston Uprising team. Uh, but after all of the drama last season, Boston needed to put him into that starter spot. And when mistakes came in as a starter for Boston, they went undefeated in stage three, I believe it was, with him starting every single game 
during that that stage. So the fact that mistakes has dropped from Boston, I think for me personally, is like one of the biggest surprises on this list. What do you guys think? Any any highlights or or things you want to comment comment on here? I just want to make it clear, kind of like what's happening in this period, right? And because I, I think this was another thing that wasn't very well communicated when these players signed contracts. These standard Overwatch League player contracts, so like they all differ depending on who wrote uh, which, which lawyer wrote the contract. Um, however, there is like a standard set of things you have to have in your contract, uh, healthcare, whatever, like healthcare and retirement. One that's very interesting to me is second year options. Is a big thing in sports, and it was not very highlighted in the Overwatch League. So essentially, you sign what's called a one plus one if you're an Overwatch League player last year, where you have a one year contract, and then you have an option to pick it up for the second one. This period that you're in right now is people not getting their option picked up. It's a team option. So the team can choose whether to retain you or release you. You cannot choose to leave in most cases, right? So this most of this is team done. What's interesting about that is I don't think this is what's the last stuff that's going to happen. I think there will be teams that pick up options and trade players. I think there will be them that they that's say, it. like, we're going to... So then you don't have to renegotiate the salary on that second year. You just pick up the option and then ship them out. Yeah, that was, a contract that was a big question, right? Everyone was, like, wondering, why aren't any of these people, particularly, you know, folks like Shadowburn or maybe even Mistakes, like, why aren't they being traded, you know, for, for whatever value? And so, I mean, obviously, there are some questions there, but I think you make a good point. Like, even the people that are still on the rosters, we, we will see a trading period. And so, like, right now, we're in the period where the expansion teams, right, basically get to to choose players, I think, at, at this point. Yeah, that is on uh, mm -hmm. that is on Sunday is the day that yeah. it Oh. Mm -hmm. so, and also, also what's intriguing about that is I don't want to make any allegations against specific people, but I've been hearing a little bit about this, that there are teams that want players immediately rather than letting them, because there's like a month period where you can only, only expansion teams can sign mm -hmm. players, right? Oh. There are teams that want players on other teams and rather than releasing said player into free agency and then signing him <laughs> and the chance of him potentially yeah. signing on his own to yes. uh, signing on his own to a expansion team in that month period where maybe they show up and offer him a bunch of money these teams are talking about one picking up an option and then trading him to another so yeah. if there's like a player on one team they pick up the option and trade him to the other one and that's how you get the player that's how you avoid potentially losing a player to an expansion team. And this fascinating. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. smart. <laughs> I mean, totally And smart. it saves money for everyone involved, of too. Course. Because, right. like, there, there will be, like, uh, I, I want people in Overwatch to start using this, uh, using this term. It's a big thing in traditional sports. Cash considerations. <laughs> yes. We traded a player for cash considerations. I really want that to be a thing. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I think it's funny because, like, uh, if your team, like, soul right and you have some good individual talent but you never gelled well and you want to trade away one of your players to another korean team or you want to trade them away to another team period you can pick up the option you can make money from taking the cash consideration from the trading team you can also ship out the player and the the, the buying team saves money because they are paying a lower salary that was negotiated last year rather than this year yep. yeah that's a good point too and he's just protected too so i mean it's just like a guarantee that this is going to happen correct um, yeah, so I do terms, agree with mistakes, though. Yeah, yeah. generally, like, well, that, mistakes. That was me. I think mistakes is an interesting thing because, like, I, I think that we we might be in a situation where we're thinking of mistakes from you know months ago, 
you know, and the last time we saw mistakes was in the World Cup, you know, the last stage of World Cup. You know, and I have to say mistakes played just so-so during that. You know, I, I don't know mm. what happened with, you know, practice or whatnot with the World Cup team. But, you know, I, I feel like he might not have done himself favors just with how he performed there. Um, you know, he had moments, but, you know, I think it's still, it was more, you know, like Shadowburn doing crazy stuff. T- um, but, you know, so it could be a classic case of just, currently he just isn't the you know same player at least on the same level and contenders has been amazing you know we've seen some extremely good players and contenders right now so i think that we're going to see this huge influx of of contenders players moving you know into uh, these overwatch league teams and also you know with this season we have these flex positions now you know like we have these these spots on the teams where where players um are signed to play you know they're signed that i think they're signed as contenders players but they they can play up in the Overwatch League. Um, two-way contracts. Yeah, two-way yes. contracts, exactly. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, so we're, we're going to be seeing a, a lot more of that, too. So, you know, I think that that's probably what happened mistakes. Shadowburn, I I actually don't know. You know, like, I feel like Shadowburn has trade value. So, I, to be honest, I was a little surprised that Fusion dropped him. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to start. I still think he would have probably, you know, still would be a bench player for them. But, I mean... I don't know. Am I wrong about that? Shadowburn in World Cup looked amazing. You know, he just looked like the the magical World Cup player that he always is. And and Genji wise, yeah. he's always going to be one of the best Genjis in the world. I think so. his Fara is probably in the most underrated yeah. part of his, exactly. of his uh, yeah. repertoire for sure. I, he could be a Fara specialist for for any team in the league, probably. If, but question is, is Fara even that good in the meta right now? Right now, unless you're playing against goats. Doesn't really seem like the answer was yes. Uh, so you know. Yeah, but that can change in a hurry, man. That's like one. Yeah, of course. It's, you know, it's one patch different. can change that completely. Yeah. But uh, I think, given all these players who've been released in our discussion of contenders and the eight new teams in o- Overwatch League, mm-hmm. I would pose the question: Is there enough talent in terms of player talent to fill out eight more teams, eight more quality teams? This has been a discussion point uh, in the news and on social media because in season one we had teams like. We had teams like Shanghai and Chris, I'm sorry. We had teams like Florida that really were kind of in the doldrums for most of the entire season. You're from Florida. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, so like, is there really, are there really enough talented players to fill out eight teams? I mean, I think you're right, Chris. Contenders has shown a lot of up and coming talent, but uh, I think it's an interesting question to ponder. Mm-hmm. I think uh, what's interesting from that, and I have not started doing a lot of roster reporting at this time, I think a lot of it is very premature. I think there's a lot of information out there that's being shared. This always happens in Overwatch because it's a younger game, too, than League or Counter-Strike. There's always a lot of misinformation that's spread very early in these processes before, like, look, no one can, they can negotiate right now, but no one can sign a contract till Sunday. So, like, when you're hearing all these rumors, it's like, no one's put their pen to paper. Remember that. Uh, And um, what's intriguing is I think a lot of the Chinese teams in particular will go with either full-sale Korean teams, uh, (laughs) contender. Uh, (laughs) Also, some, like, X6 and others, I think, will be be some of those that are looked at. Sure. I, I mean, Runaway did, uh, Flower Vin said they had multiple offers, so it would not surprise me if those are some of the Chinese teams. Um, I think that, so they'll either buy wholesale or they'll hire a Korean manager to build for them, um, right? I think that's probably the way a lot of the Chinese teams will go. Domestically here in the U.S. Uh, and Canada and the Paris team, the western part of the world, I actually think that 
many of them will probably build ground up. I don't know how many of them will actually buy wholesale. Um, they've hired managers that have worked uh, and coaches who have worked in contenders and other leagues. I mean, there are reports out there which I uh, can can say are true um, that uh, Sefi will be going to Atlanta and that Kate Mitchell will be going to D.C., and that I've heard the Kai Kai one to Vancouver, but I'm not sure if that ever got done. I know there was an offer. Um, and so you have these people who have built teams from scratch before, and I'm wondering how many of them will go wholesale uh, and buy teams from contenders. I would say the majority of them will not, and they will build themselves. Yeah, I mean, we we have like mixed results, obviously, with the whole buying complete teams, right? In season one, I mean, obviously, we had Seoul, and then you know, London was like two teams basically, and then they had their issues, yeah. even just having two teams. So I don't even know if I count London to a degree, but you know, Seoul, and then we had Dallas too. I mean, it just didn't, it didn't. I wouldn't say it was it was a successful strategy. I mean, we even Mayhem too, right? Like, I don't think in, in overall, like neither. I don't think either the, those three teams didn't compete really in the end. So, um, you know, building ground up right now, I, I think might be still more of a, a proven strategy and you just have more players to look at. I mean, it's just even from a, as the standpoint of, of the, the availability of the player pool. I mean, it's just better to be able to look at a ton of players versus just, you know, a set team, I would say. Uh, so definitely risk and, you know, there's risks and on, on both ends of it, but, you know, I would say building from scratch seems to have, have been very successful for a lot of teams so far. Um, any other surprises on this list? Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting is just the coaching kind of moves, you know, like moving yeah. Coco to coaching and we see, um, as well as clockwork to coaching, which is, you know, clockwork was obviously a, a pretty big, uh, talking point for the outlaws this entire season. So, you know, f I guess, you know, finally moving up to, or at least moving out of a player role into that, uh, who else was moved to coach here? I think those are the only two, right? Um, well, I think one of the the big ones is uh, is Spitfires coach um, departed the team as well. So, oh yeah, you know, yeah. Even teams that were very successful, and then guys like Wizard Young from uh, NYXL also was re were released. So even some of the more successful teams are seeing shakeups, not just in their players, but also their coaches. Yeah, which is huge. I mean, the, we've seen very big differences in in how the teams perform once coaches move. We saw a little bit of that with Boston when Boston, you know, you know, when we had we had a coaching switch there, and then obviously Dallas. We saw a huge change in Dallas once Arrow got there too at the end of the season. So, uh, you know, don't underestimate coaching changes. That's those are actually just as important as player changes in some ways, even more important. Uh, yeah, they help assemble these rosters, right? right. Uh, and I think that. Um, I think that many of these teams are now starting to make that decision or have already made that decision very rapidly. I mean, uh, we saw on her Twitter, so I'm not really saying anything. Uh, Kate Mitchell like was posting that she was in New York uh, last week, and she's already hired and working for the DC team, which has a New York-based office. So it's like <laughs> okay. pretty quick and rapid, I think. Like right. it's uh, well, it has to be. I mean, we're talking. I mean, not only do they have to build the teams right now. I mean, they have to be ready to move to the cities in the summer, you know, like in summer, fall next year. So yeah. all of these new teams, GMs and owners and everything, I mean, they're, they're going to have to be moving super quick. It's why, they're, it's why they're staffing out so heavily, though. Yeah. That's why you see people like, uh, that's why you see people like Chris Overholt hired for Toronto, like mm -hmm. one of these like very prestigious businessmen that's connected and worked all over the damn Canadian sports, uh, yeah. Canadian sports landscape because 
Like it's important that the business people figure out the geolocation thing by January 2020. And it's important that the players are good enough to like keep these new teams relevant. And so it's, uh, I, I think that a lot of these expansion teams are playing catch up. Uh, Atlanta in particular got a very pretty early, uh, Atlanta and Guangzhou got a pretty early head start because their paperwork was done first. Um, so they've had about a month extra to kind of like yeah. go find their staff, yeah. work on their business, it's figure out month. team names. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, a month is a long time. It is. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, whereas like some of these owners didn't know they were in the league till last week. So right. it's like, <laughs> you know, they, they weren't for sure in until last week. So it's like yeah, some of this is a little bit more rapid. I think some teams uh, are further advanced. And I would say Atlanta and Guangzhou and maybe some of the Chinese teams are a little bit further advanced than like Vancouver, who I've not heard much about aside from coach and maybe manager. Mm-hmm. Um, just like uh, I think I think that we'll of all the U.S. teams, if I had to do an early prediction, and I'm putting a big bet on uh, Steffi by saying this, I think they'll probably be very good um, because he's had a head start and yeah. he knows what he's doing. So. Okay, uh, I guess last bit of news just with Overwatch League in terms of uh, you know these kind of players or just just the league itself is uh, you know Benchmob Benchmob has been obviously reporting a lot of different things the last couple of weeks, but one thing that he did mention that was kind of interesting was that the playoff structure seems to have changed, you know, or, or reportedly is going to be changing. So it's going to be um, six from stand, you know, just from the the final standings. But then there's going to be this this whole concept of a play-in tournament at the end of the season for, uh, you know, two of the spots in the playoffs, which is really interesting because then it makes like, I don't know, it just, it just makes the, um, the end of the season, I guess, a little bit more interesting than I guess it was this this year. And you know, I, just more teams would just maybe get a chance to get in, you know, and, and I think that's pretty exciting and even, at least from a broadcasting standpoint you know and just like keeping it, it really fr- or again like not having this real stale moment before the playoffs and before the grand finals like we we had a little bit this season so what do you guys think of that this yeah. new playoff system i want to put a small asterisk on it real quick before we actually get into it sure. so i don't think i don't think any format changes for next season are finalized oh I yeah sure of course they are. they're just kind of I think they're open open for discussion yeah. uh, i think it's really important to know that they're open for discussion the Blizzard holds uh, two to three days of ownership meetings right before BlizzCon in Beverly Hills. And so I think that's when a lot of that will be decided. Right. Um, we'll be right around BlizzCon. We'll start hearing a little bit more about like what's actually happening um, because that will be, I think BlizzCon will probably be the first time, at least those meetings before BlizzCon will be the first time that you see all 20 owners in the same room. Or like hmm. we, we won't be able to go in the room, but it will be the first time they all see each other and have like a, a thorough discussion. Um, and like the expansion teams have even had time to weigh in on it. So like, I, I know there are format discussions being talked about. I know this is definitely one of them. Um, uh, so, but I don't think we'll know anything for certain, even from like a reporting perspective, because I think they won't announce till probably in a November, beginning of December for format, but like, we won't know for certain what they lock in until beginning of November. Yeah, I mean, I think more playoff action is better than less. Um, yeah, I, I would say that that yeah, I, I think I know why you're chuckling at Chris, but I think uh, I would say that this season they didn't do a great job of hyping up the playoffs uh, as, as well as they could have. But uh, next season, I'm really hoping, I'm really crossing my fingers that they try and hype up the playoffs a bit more. Maybe even do them in different arenas, like 
yeah. in different parts of the country or even different parts of the world. I think just something as simple as going to a 5,000 person capacity arena versus the 500 capacity arena at in, in Burbank would be enough to elevate the hype of the playoffs a bit more. So beyond anything, I just hope that they, they give the playoffs like a little bit more of a specialty treatment rather than it kind of looking and feeling similar to how the regular season did. I mean, even yeah, it's a format discussion too. I, I was going to say the travel thing you bring up is super interesting. Uh, I think I don't know if it will be for playoffs next year, but they definitely discuss going to other countries. And like because these teams are going to eventually one day travel and geo okay, uh, they want to kind of like give those fans kind of like a taste test of what that looks like. So yeah. I definitely could see them like going to going to England and going to Korea throughout the Overwatch season next year, and like having those kind of like special weeks where they like go somewhere else. It's just season-ending stuff, right? All those season finals should be somewhere else. <laughs> you know, anything yeah. outside of the studio would be great. You know, and, and it's not easy to make that happen. And you obviously will have to work with production companies for that instead of ha obviously having it all in the house. So it, it is a lot more work, and and logistics are a lot more difficult. But it's going to be worth it in terms of growing, you know, or just keeping the the entire season exciting and, and continuing the interest in it. Um, okay, well, let's move on to World Cup talk. Uh, you know, this week we're going to be going in. Actually, right now <laughs> we're going into the the U.S. group. So uh, they're already you know playing away right now. I think Canada's playing right now. Uh, but you know, figured we would talk about it, given that we talked about the last uh, groups uh, during our last show. So um, let me bring it up. While while we're bringing it up, what do you guys think? It's U.S., Canada, Austria, Brazil, um, Norway, Switzerland. Uh, is that it? Yeah, those are the six teams, right? Yeah. I think, I, I mean, it, there's no way that you can look at this and say it's not just going to be U.S. and Canada. <laughs> right. I think the one storyline people are looking at is can Brazil turn some heads? You yeah. know, Nor Norway has like one or two players that, that you know and you've seen on contenders teams. Like you know, Switzerland and Norway, I think, are going to be decent. I don't know much about the Austria team, but like you can't really look at this group and say anything other than U.S. and Canada are going to go through. Right. What's really fascinating to me is that Brazil feels like, and it's always felt like this for probably the last five years. Brazil always feels like it's the uh, the like third or fourth country in the western part of the world, uh, or like the Americas that always has a chance to actually be pretty good at esports. And uh, I'm really curious if some of these players perform and then pop up in some of these expansion talks. I really want to see how they it's do It's true. That. Yeah, that's that's like the World Cup. It's like the best thing ever about the Overwatch World Cup is that it can sh shine a light on players that you probably never would have seen before. And that's why we have Mickey in the Overwatch League. That's why there's a number of players that have Jake. been found. Yeah. EQO. Yeah, um, yeah Jake, mm -hmm. you know, with his performance last year in the World Cup. So I, I loved, I'd love to see that. And, and, you know, you're right. Brazil is one of the best countries in the world at CSGO. You know, they have a they have many, many championships have gone to Brazilian teams. So, you know, hope to see and, it. And in league, like they're they're the always, aside from like the five major regions, they're always like the I don't call them wild cards anymore, but wild card regions that are like the best. Uh, uh they're always one of the top ten them them in Turkey. So like there's pretty good like growing esports infrastructure in that country. I'm wondering what type of players they produce and how they do today. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a boring group, to be honest. I mean, outside of that, obviously the players being able to prove themselves. Um, it, it, it's a little bit of luck then, right? Because given these signing periods, 
you're gonna be you're gonna be benefit if your country is playing early on in, the, in this World Cup versus you know the, the latter groups down here, which um, I, I'm not sure when when like France is being played. So what's the date on the France one? It's like the 21st. Oh, I guess it's still. I guess it's still within signing periods, so maybe if you can make some last-minute decisions, you know, based on on um, you know this this group here, which is a lot more interesting in my opinion. But um, you know what's what's funny about the the planning of the broadcast is the U.S. Canada match is the very last match in this group, which it's like oh man, it's like Sunday night. They sh I was hoping they would pick it in a, in a more prime spot, but. Uh, you know, I guess you have to have to kind of wait because I don't. I don't think there's going to be any kind of deciding aspect to that. You know, in, in terms of, of you know who gets through. So, won't be. A, I don't think it'll be that climactic, but it will be. See, it'll be interesting to see who wins between the two because I feel like uh, Canada right now is coming in. I mean, Canada's the favorite, right? Wouldn't you say? Like, they. I feel like they're coming yeah. in as the favorite. USA. You know, a lot of people like on. You know, they know the players. They. They think they're solid, but there's still a little bit of an unknown, you know, as to like how this this U.S. team is going to play together and how well they're going to do. But um, but Canada, yeah, I think they're they're proven. They've a lot of those players have played last year, and um, you know, they're I think they're just a favorite to win the whole thing, the World Cup. I wonder if um, I wonder if the decision to put it on Sunday was in hopes to hit more weekend viewers, just because. Uh, like we saw even at the main World Cup stage, the best match at World Cup last year, or the most entertaining match, I don't want to say best overall in skill, was uh, Korea-USA and had a ton of viewers on a Friday night. And uh, I feel like if they would have put that on Saturday, they would have probably even had even more if they put it on Saturday prime time. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that's part of the reason they, they do put Canada and USA on a Sunday because it's, uh, it's the day that everybody's kind of just home and not working. And I wonder that if what happened last year with... Uh, their schedule kind of impacted the way they think the share in programming. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, yeah, it'd be kind of interesting even just to see what the you know general strategy is in terms of scheduling these things, or if they, I mean, they they have to take that into account, right? There's no way they they save that one for the end there. Um, okay. Well, anyways, we'll we'll take a look. Oh, one last thing about the World Cup. I mean, there's all these like these uniform uh, reveals, and you know we're seeing these videos and these people tweeting about it. But guys, I mean, these uniforms are terrible. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's at least my opinion of it. It's like, can't they be better than just like this? Like, let me bring some of these up. They're, they're mostly white. They're, um, I don't know. They could be so much better than they are. And I think Canada's is pretty much the same as it was last year, right? Like, I, I kind of vaguely remember them looking like that. Like, there's Canada's. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. one's, I think, worse than it was last year. I don't know any thoughts, any fashion thoughts on this? The US ones are pretty awful. <laughs> I, mean, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that much. Come on, man. Oh, it's loud, yeah. loud, loud, loud. Sorry about that. This tweet had a, a volume on it. Yeah, so take a look at these. I mean, Ugh. that doesn't even look like US Ugh. to me. That looks like a Czech uniform. Uh, you know, it, looks it looks very T Mobile, though. I will yeah. say it looks very on brand with their uh, jersey sponsor. <laughs> I guess, man. But I, I don't like it. I don't like the jerseys this year. And uh, there's a larger discussion to be had about esports merchandise just being awful. But um, uh, I think that, <laughs> that this certainly is <laughs> an example. Of it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, look at this. I mean, that doesn't even look Canada. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's red and white. That's about all it is. That's Canada oh boy. about it. Yeah. Have we seen the Paris ones yet? No. The, Fran the French, French ones? ones? No. 
Yeah, yeah they're, just gonna be, they're gonna be like that, but red, white, and blue. <laughs> red, white, like, and blue. Could be like white in the middle, blue on the right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, anyways, I figured we just mentioned that a little bit. Um, all right, contenders. So we're, we're gonna go into the contenders, and then we're gonna have Joe pop on here in a, you know about about five minutes. So get ready for some mayhem talk in a second. But Ben, um, you know you you obviously want to talk a little bit about NA finals contenders. Yeah. So, I think uh, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm really glad that Blizzard decided to stack the contenders finals also at the same venue, at the same event as Overwatch League. Um, you know, contenders, in my opinion, has really, really great quality players, really great, uh, you know, really high caliber teams. So it's great to see that contenders is going to be at an event like World Cup. So, this weekend, we have the Contenders NA Finals happening in LA. In fact, I believe they happen tonight. It's going to be Fusion University versus XL2. Uh, you know, it's been a little bit since we actually saw Contenders, the Contenders playoffs. So, you know, the meta's shifted, Hammond's in there. Uh, really not sure what we're going to see. Are we going to see a lot of goats? Uh, I think anything could happen. Uh, honestly, these teams, I feel, will be very evenly matched. But if I personally had to give a prediction... I would put my money on XL2 to take this home. They've got just such an incredible amount of talent and and they've got more Korean players. So I think <laughs> I think that's going <laughs> to potentially give them an edge. I think guys like Nene have been yeah. like mind-blowingly good. Uh, like Nene's going to be in Overwatch League next season for sure. Um, so I, I would put my money there. They've also got Nanohana, previously known as Flower. So, uh, you know, I think XL2's got that. Probably the most coveted player in all of the uh, contenders he, for next year. Still, is he still the most coveted player? Like I, 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 was, I would say he's one of them. I mean, mm. obviously, a lot of that came from from World Cup last year, and you know, I I haven't seen Flower play that much to be honest, like this last year. So, um, I don't know. Have you Ben? Have you seen Flower play a bunch? Like, uh, you know, it. I hate to say it, it's it's been so long since the playoffs that like I'm I'm trying to like jog my memory of <laughs> of who exactly was playing throughout those playoffs. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, he was I literally he, he considered he was literally considered possibly the best player in the world after World Cup last year. So like his stock was by far the highest. Like like it's really a shame that he couldn't sign with any team. But um, actually, I don't know about that. Maybe his contract wouldn't be that like that much more or less. I don't know, but um. But yeah, so it's kind of interesting. He's Jake, not played playoffs, that. though. You're right. Or yeah. He's he played very like sporadically in playoffs. He played him and Megachu, from what I'm looking at, switched out a lot throughout uh, the series against Energy, and then uh, the same with Mayhem Academy as well. So yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, like, I actually think his stock's not that high. Actually, I mean he'll he'll make it into Overwatch League. I don't think that's in any question, but. I don't see him starting for anybody from what I've heard so far, you know, like in terms of how he's been playing. Um, yeah, hard to say. Know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely. Pretty unfortunate when you're not old enough to sign up for Overwatch League. I know. If he would have been able to last year, he would have he would have made a ton of money. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like a basketball player having to go to college for a year, you know? You, you're like, you look at you look at the league last year and like Siegel and Sinatra made so much money. I wonder how much Flower would have made uh, yeah. with like right peak right after World Cup performances and just. Yeah. yeah, it's like now a year later, it's a little unfortunate, but I still think he'll probably get somewhere, if not XL themselves. I'll just bump him up. Yeah, uh. yeah. Uh, let's see. What, uh, let's see. One last bit of news here, miscellaneous news here, is that our our friend Mitch 
Uber uh, ended up winning on-camera talent of the year at the Stockholm Very International cool. Esports Awards. So, um, you know, I, I think it's well-deserving. I mean, Mitch, I, mean, I don't know how many epic casts he had this season, not to mention just everything he's done in the past, but like even just Overwatch League standpoint, I mean, for me, I, I felt like he was the most entertaining one. I mean, everybody's good, but you know, I think Mitch just created very memorable moments, you know, with his cast. So, uh, yeah. Any yeah. thoughts on, on Mitch's win here? He's a hustler, man. Yeah. yeah totally. we, we are lucky in esports that we have a lot of incredible casters. I mean, if you look throughout every major game, there's, there's phenomenal casting talent in every game. There's some people who do analysis. Well, there's some people who keep the flow going. There's some people that really build up the hype, uh, incredibly well. I think Uber does a mix of like all of these things, but I think the thing that is really special about Uber's talent is his wordplay is <laughs> I think on a different yeah. level. Like oh, I can't think sure. of another caster who pulls sure. out these insane, like subtle references that if you're not endemic to the community or you're not listening very carefully, you're probably going to miss them because he's just sticking them into the middle of his super hype rap God moments <laughs> all the time. I don't know how his brain works. Like I wish I, I used to commentate a lot back in the day, and I'm just like blown away with how I don't understand how his brain works at all. But I've been meaning to, to ask Mitch if he just has like a bunch of puns and you know little little things already written out and ready to to just use whenever, or if that's literally Maybe just, just on the spot wit like that he's he's pulling that stuff out because you know that a lot of these tv broadcasts whatever it is it could be just whatever entertainment show or sports whatever you know there's writers that feed these broadcasters some of these things right and sometimes they they pull it off well and it seems organic but some of it is just terribly scripted and it's, it's very very obvious right i i've been meaning to ask mitch that for a long time whether he just like literally just comes up with everything just literally on the fly or if he's ever planning on, you know, do, trying to work this into a broadcast at some point during the day. I've definitely told him this personally, and I kind of just like want to say it for the audience. I have watched him since he cast very, very small tournaments for ESL, which was about four years ago, five years ago. Yep. To see his hustle and his come up has been incredible. And the hard work that he puts into this is I don't want to say second to none because the Overwatch League does have pretty incredible hard workers. Monty and Doa, of course, are very well known to work very, very hard and relentlessly. But uh, the fact that he is caught up and and is on that level, I would consider him on that level to you know these people who have been in the industry for a long time and and really are very highly touted and respected. The fact that he's caught up is incredibly impressive, and I think what he does uh, is great. I think he's he seriously deserved that award. He's one of those casters, and we've we've seen him, right? He's casted World of Tanks. He's got he's casted like everything, like in the past. League of Legends, and League of Legends, of course. Yeah. yeah, and he's one of those casters that can that you can he he can do anything. Like he's got that you know ability or that talent, you know, his voice and just his his charisma and everything. So, um, I mean, he started with Battlefield Four for like. Years, <laughs> Did he really? So. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, man, okay. he was him and uh, Jason Kaplan casted that, that was, Battlefield that was Four. Player. Really? That, uh, those guys. I think it was at a Gamescom or something. If you uh, if if the Overwatch League ever implodes and people are looking for jobs, I think he will have lots of phone calls. Yeah. No. No so. question. All right. Well, um, I'm gonna 
I think it's um, time to bring Joe in on this uh, show because it's, he's been waiting <laughs> this whole time just because uh, I, I pretty much uh, wanted Patient to. Patient Joe. Yeah, exactly. Patient Joe. So let me pull him on here and then we'll uh, start talking to Joe. All right. Hey, Joe, can you hear us? You there? You're, you're muted if you're. Hello. Hey, Joe. There we go. Yeah, so. Uh, hey, can you hear me? Yep, can hear you for sure. And actually, let me just change this cool. real quick. Uh Welcome, Joe. So for those of you that might not be familiar with Joe, um, this is Joe Eloasi. He is the chief gaming officer for the Misfits Mayhem. And we just wanted to have Joe come on just to talk about the Mayhem. Obviously, there's been a lot going on with the Mayhem recently with the whole Zappas thing yesterday. And figured it would be great just to have you know Joe talk about that. But on top of that, just, just everything else about Mayhem. Because there seems to be a bunch of misconceptions in the community with just how Mayhem's been, you know, been organized or run or whatever you know during this season one so uh i figured it'd be a great time to have you on joe and and uh you know maybe get some of those things straightened out so welcome to the show man thank you very much for having me um first of all and you know i just apologize if there are any kind of connection issues as i'm currently in madrid at the moment uh with our league of legends team um so yeah i just uh, apologize in advance if like it cuts out at all since i'm basically talking from my phone right now um but yeah no thank you very much for having me i'm you know very excited to be on today and you know hopefully i can shed some light onto you know just a little bit about how we operate and also mm -hmm. um you know clear up any kind of misconceptions that we think the community may have or you know anything that um we feel that people should know yeah, so why don't we just kind of dive into it, you know, obviously with the stuff that was happening yesterday, which was um, the Zappas, you know, just, uh, you know, I feel that, um, yeah, you know, I think it started, uh, well, actually it started with just, the, I guess, the announcement of just the release of, of the players. And then I think what followed up was the tweet about saying how the players were, um, you know, basically had to play for their spot. And then um, Zappas ended up tweeting about, you know, him not actually getting a chance to trial. So I kind of wanted to have you just kind of Talk us through that and, and really, you know, explain maybe what, what actually happened there. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I guess I'll start by saying, you know, there were miscommunications from our side. You know, obviously Ben's tweet um, wasn't entirely accurate in the sense that we hadn't already trialed everyone. I mean, we have, except for Zaphis, obviously, who had World Cup duties. Um, so I guess I'll kind of describe it as a sequence of events. But, you know, first of all, I just wanted to you know, apologize to the community for the miscommunication on that side. Um, I just don't want that to be presented as a lie, you know, as I'll kind of explain now in this kind of sequence of events, um, you know, leading up to this. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I guess I'll just kind of take it from the top, really. Um, yeah, sure. You know, a while ago, we, um, you know, we discussed, I, I would say probably when it was like almost mathematically impossible for us to, uh to make it into playoffs mm -hmm. um of overwatch league or end of season playoffs last year um you know we discussed about you know what we'll do this year and you know really ever since then um there's been a lot going on into you know how we are going to rebuild this team to become competitively viable next year um so yeah i mean um in Zafis's case specifically um, just like the rest of the players, we said that um, well, once the season ended, we said that we will be running trials for pretty much every slot on the team. Um, we are doing this, you know, because 
losing isn't really something that you know was ever associated with misfits when you know obviously uh, our efforts in Overwatch were with misfits but you know we didn't want that to continue on to mayhem as well so you know when you go 733 um it is really tough you yeah. know and it also means that you know what you're doing at the moment doesn't work clearly you know so um it required us to you know go back to the drawing board and talk you know together yeah. um you know come up with a, a viable strategy to ensure that there's no repetition of that uh, going forward so you know um we spoke to Yunus and um we told Yunus him Zappis, that by the way. he will be able to <laughs> just yeah, in case sure. you've got <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah so uh, Zappis, yeah um we spoke to Zappis, um, and you know, we told him that he will be able to try for his slot. Um, the unfortunate thing that happened was, you know, well, I say unfortunate, very fortunate for him. He got picked for um, Finland. You know, congratulations to him. It's fantastic for him. You know, it's a great responsibility, and um, obviously, you know, that is a big stage for him to showcase his talent. Um, you know, a bigger stage than our trialing process, clearly. Um, so uh, that coincided with our trialing process, um, which sucked because literally everyone else on the team was able to make it. Um, so we spoke to him and we said, okay, well, um, you know, focus on performing your best for Finland, you know, showcase what you can do. And, you know, obviously he's been doing fantastically for Finland. Um, but that was our Overwatch League specific trial trialing period right um okay, yeah you know we're, we're not we're not actually done with building our overwatch league team it was just that trial was not going to have any players we would consider for contenders in it so um we are running you know a trial at a separate date um you know after the world well i say after the world cup probably at the earliest opportunity we can um we can we can run it um and you know that was our intent um to just try them there but uh clearly you know it wasn't communicated properly and that's where we fucked up um but you know we intended to uphold our promise to him um you know we weren't lying about that you know we had every intention to do that um and then you know the other thing that was raised surrounding that was you know um that he was one of the players released um in the most recent round, but you know, as I'm sure you guys all know, there was um, a deadline on September second for us. To, sorry, for us to um, activate the plus one on our players' contracts. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, from our perspective, you know, Jonas, uh, sorry, uh, Zafis did like a lot for us behind the scenes while he wasn't able to play much. Um, you know, he showed a lot of strengths. Um, that we felt could be could have been of use to us. So in line with that, you know, we were already ready to make him an offer to work with us in that capacity. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, he wouldn't have been able to do that on a player contract, first of all. And that is the offer we are ready to make now um, until we see him showcase himself in trials with us. You know, we could not necessarily say, yeah, he's going to retain his spot next year. Um, so, you know, like, um, this was all, you know, pretty unfortunate how it was portrayed. And, you know, I hope that me talking about this just clears, like, any uh, misconception 
of you know what happened um but you know we really didn't intend for him to you know not be able to showcase himself at all is not what we intended to um but you know re releasing him as well you know also gives him um a lot of options this off season especially with you know eight new expanding teams um and for us you know we really want to see all of our players that we released land on their feet that's very important for us you know which is why we're um really releasing when other teams are as well um and it's no different for you for zafis but like i said the offer we are ready to make right now was um with our staff um i can't specify what that role is now but it's a very important role to us and um a role we think zafis will excel in if he does uh take that offer um so yeah i mean in line with that you know that was um you know why we did that joe i have a question for you uh sure. you all uh have mentioned this trial process that you've been doing with different players across different mm -hmm. countries you act if they're free agents you can't sign them for about a month until the Correct. second period opens for for new team or for existing teams rather rather than the new teams so like correct what how are you hoping to retain a player from that period of time say they do want to join your but then they get a massive offer from an expansion team in the next month. Like, how do you make, ensure that that person that you selected through these trials actually ends up signing with the Mayhem? Mm, I mean, like I said, um, you know, our trialing process isn't complete. You know, that was a very early indication prior to the World Cup where a lot of uh, the talent out there will only be able to show, showcase themselves, you know, on screen rather than under our own uh, quote-unquote scrutiny, I guess. Um, but... Um, yeah, you know, we wanted our own initial assessment and, you know, our plan is to be very thorough, um, you know, and even that trialing process, we were running Western trials, we were running Korean trials, you know, I can just give you a sample of what our day looked like, you know, in, the, in that time period. Um, you know, we would uh, start the Western trials at 10 a.m. Pacific, finish at 5, 5 p.m. Pacific uh, with, you know, a small break to eat. Uh, then we would get a few hours nap and start Korean trials at 10 p.m. until 3 a.m. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. get another nap and then start again, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, you know, until uh, teams wanted their players back, uh, basically. Um, so, yeah, like, um, you know, we intend to be as thorough as possible and, you know, having our own early indication is valuable to us as far as, like, how we retain them. You know, there's no... Uh, way we could really do that without breaking the rules, you know, and we have no intention of breaking the rules. Um, but, you know, um, the players we showed interest in, you know, we told them what we're about in Florida Mayhem. We, um, you know, told them what we do uh, in regards to infrastructure. And, you know, hopefully um, I would like to think that, you know, a lot of the players out there don't only consider the cash offer that's there, uh, but also the cash offer that might be there further on in the off-season. Um, but, you know, if a player signs that early on as a free agent, then there's nothing stopping them. You know, there's nothing we can um, we can really do. But then again, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps that might lead to us having to do, as you said earlier in the show, uh, cash considerations later in the off-season, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, or, you know, maybe even like a trade on our side, but, you know, that clearly with the amount of players we've released, that's not really our intention this off-season. So, you know, our 
um, investment going forward, you know, will be um, significant. Um, you know, not okay. that it already hasn't been, you know, which I will explain, you know, I guess as we go along. Right. So just to, you know, kind of circling back just to the Zappos thing, just to just make sure we just clarify, Zappos knew about all of this stuff, right? I mean, he knew when the trial times were, and I mean, it sounded like it was just, a, it was basically just yeah. overlap between like World Cup, I guess, practice and, and that sort of stuff with the trials. Yeah, and, so and, and he knew, I mean, he, he knew that, right? And, and it was more of a, the, the only, a choice. So, yeah. yeah, sorry to interrupt. The, the only kind of uncertainty, which, you know, is um, the exact date of our contenders trials, you know, and um, I'm not sure if we described like the specifics well enough, but we did, you know, make it clear to every single player in our roster last year that, you know, they will get an opportunity to showcase themselves. Um, but unfortunately, that time window for Zappis is after, you know, the deadline for us to notify players of yeah. um, okay. whether we pick up their plus one. And also, you know, we wanted him to focus on his World Cup responsibilities with Finland, you know, which is why I can understand there was clearly a miscommunication. That's not something we want to deny at all. There definitely was, you know, and I wanted to address yeah. that on here. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know, we guess, I guess we didn't really expect everything to blow up as much as it has done in the last couple of days. So, like, why, I want to I wanna ask this from a communications perspective. It's a sure. journalist that I'm very interested. Uh, you know, a lot of these teams, like, they just put out the press release of players and they haven't said another damn thing. And why do you think it's, like, important to address it and not just let it fester? Uh, could you elaborate a little? Yeah, so, like, for some of the other teams in the overall their players even some of the ones that we were talking about earlier in the show like mistakes and etc that like i would love to have more explanation on to the public right mm. as to the decision making and like i think mm. i think esports fans and reddit and everything are always going to be i mean all sports fans are going to be like super i guess controversial and like mob mentality kind of thing emotional right? yeah <laughs> emotional <laughs> yeah right understand. and so like why like from your perspective, why do you think it's important to address it, period, uh, rather than just kind of like let it let it happen and, you know, let it wash away mm. in a week or two? Mm. I mean, obviously, you know, with fans, like fans want as much information as possible, you know, and I think, you know, if we can create that kind of transparency between us and our fans, you know, obviously there are going to be certain things that we cannot talk about as there is for like any other professional sports team. But, you know, I think the, the more transparent we can be with our fans, the better it is. And, you know, a lot of um, the values that we have in Mayhem are, you know, revolve around transparency with each other internally. Um, and, you know, that's something that we want to uh, include our fans into. You know, we have this culture, uh, this family culture in Mayhem. And, you know, we really see our fans who have been fantastic this season as members of that family or ex extended members of our family. Um, so it's very important for us that, you know, we can give them the transparency they need to make them satisfied. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the, I think maybe we can move on just to talk about just the roster changes, right? You know, you definitely talked about trials and, you know, I'm assuming, you know, based on the trials, you know, you, you, some decisions were made, you know, based on, on the roster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you guys are keeping three players. You're keeping, um, you know, yeah. Saya, awesome guy, Intavik. And um, the remainder of the guys, obviously, are, are being released. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, talk a little bit about that, just, you know, in terms of, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, it's a family. And I, I experienced it, too, obviously, meeting you guys. And I think that's one thing the rest of the community just doesn't see as much is really, 
you know, how, how close like everybody was, you know, just all the players and all the mm-hmm. staff and everything, uh, which is too bad. You know, I, I really wish that the community could have seen that because I don't think they even realized that, but talk about just losing some of these guys and you know, yeah, what that means. I, I mean, uh, in a way, I think it's, it's very different to us to almost every single Overwatch League team, maybe with the exception of, um, of, uh, fuel, um, in the sense that, you know, we had our guys before Overwatch League. You know, we had the same roster before Overwatch League. You know, we've been working with these guys for a long, long time. Um, you know, especially players like Zebasai as well, you know, have been with us, well, basically since the start of Misfits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as an organization, right? So, you know, for us, it's, it's of course, you know, there's a lot of sentiment behind that. Um, and, you know, I think, Despite our results this season, um, anyone who watched our content or anyone who saw anything about us this year saw that, you know, we were really all very close despite our results, you know, despite the fact we were losing, you know, we weren't tearing each other apart, you know, on the whole, we had a very, very good atmosphere um, throughout the year. So, you know, letting go of these players isn't easy, but, you know, at the same time, this is the best Overwatch League in the world, you know, this is one of the top leagues in esports. It's a professional sports league, you know, and um, any team striving for results is going to want to field the best team possible. And, you know, there were, you know, without going into too much detail, um, you know, there were strengths that all of our players had, but um, it's also about, you know, what we want to create going forward, you know, whether they fit that. And, um, you know, we just felt like, you know, there, for example, there might have been some issues with flexibility in certain places or, you know, um, perhaps we wanted someone with a different communication role in a certain position, you know. So, I mean, there's there's so many different factors that go into building a team um, that I could not talk about on one talk show, you yeah, know. of course. Um, that have, been, you know, been a part of, like, many hours of discussion. Um you know, that have gone into this decision-making. And, you know, it is very sad for us, you know. And really, like, I think going forward, you know, we're going to have a, a great bond with most of these boys, you know, and they worked with us for a long time. And, um, yeah, like, um, you know, we're very sad to see them go. But at the same time, you know, we're very excited for them and what they do going forward. And we hope they all land on their feet. And, you know, I hope they don't kick our ass next year, obviously. But, yeah, <laughs> like, right. um, you, know, um, you know, I really hope they all do well going forward because um they were all picked for overwatch league this year for a reason yeah and i'm super curious and we touched on this earlier in the show but i'm super curious uh you know where your scouting is most excited obviously it's very premature to talk about season two signings at this point but Mm. you know you've got overwatch contenders in korea where there's just a ton of talent you know, we're seeing sure. really, really great teams come out of North America and Europe in Overwatch contenders as well. But then, of course, you've also got all these releases from other teams. Can you give us, like, wh- what are you most excited about? Korea, you know, the Western scene, uh, the the drops, the, the, the players drops from existing Overwatch League teams? Like, wh- yeah. wh- what are you seeing right now in there, out there in terms of scouting? I mean, like, uh, it's no secret, Ben said, you know, we've trialed over 50 players in this initial, like, Overwatch League process. Um, so, you know, I think we got a very, like, good mix and good gauge of, like, players, um, from, like, multiple different regions. Like I said, we held Western trials and we held, uh, Korean trials separately. Um, so I think we got a very good assessment of, you know, 
uh, both the West and Korea. But I think um, I, I really think like every big region has something to be excited about. And, you know, um, I think one thing that we'll be doing in this World Cup is, you know, we'll be watching for these like smaller um, the smaller countries, you know, like you said, maybe Brazil, for example, is known to produce um, a lot of talent in across different esports, right? Um, I mean, in CS, they're arguably for a while they were the best CS:GO country, right? Um, well, not arguably, they Absolutely. were, right? Um, so, you know, like it will be interesting for us to see um, how countries like that and you know other countries that you know we not might we not sorry might not know about. Um, showcase their talent, you know, and um, for us, you know, we're not going to be picky and choosy about where we want our players. We want the best players that we can get, and we want to build a team that um, continues the legacy that Misfits and now Mayhem will have going forward, you know, and that's very important to us. Okay, well, um, you know, let's talk about, so I, there's a lot of questions, obviously, in the community, and, and I, I know there's misconceptions in the community, so I, I just kind of mm -hmm. want to spend some time and have you Maybe clear some of those up if if you don't mind, um, and most of them sure. have to do with season one, right? So let's just start off. First off, why was the roster size so small? It's like it was it you know okay. like just talk about that because the misconception I think is that you guys were I don't know. There's a lot of different misconceptions here. Some saying like oh they're just cheap or whatever. They don't want to like pay more players and and so on and so on. So yeah. um, I'd like to hear just what the actual reason is. Yeah. So. Um we had first of all i'd like to say we had no intention of staying as six um uh we were unsure about you know how overwatch league would play out like many other teams were as well um but maybe our worries were slightly different um i mean we saw that substitutes were very hard to integrate into league of legends for example um or haven't been done very successfully at least um, at the highest level. So, you know, that was a concern for us. Um, we kind of wanted to scope the landscape a little bit um, as to, you know, how teams integrate the substitutes. Um, but at the same time, you know, we started our signing process, like we, we started signing players before the season started. You know, we hoped some would be there before the season started, but some, well, some almost all like uh, were not there until like very late on, you know, due to different variables. I mean. For example, Sire, an awesome guy, um, you know, we anticipated they would have been there by the end of stage one. Um, but, you know, we got a request for additional evidence on their visas and that delayed the process by another like three to four weeks. Um, you know, there were unfortunate scenarios like that. I'm not going to blame our results on that, you know. Um, but, there, you know, there were areas I would say um, Obviously, we picked up players as the season went on. You know, we that was our intention from the start. But one thing we really did fuck up on, and I'll be honest, is um, the size of the coaching staff. Um, you know, which which is really no excuse from our side because um, Jacob. I mean, you obviously. I don't know about you guys, but like um, Jacob, you obviously watch a lot of League of Legends too. Um, and I mean, you'll know that, like, uh, on the Misfit side with our URCS operation, we're, we're known for being um, on the forefront of investment into infrastructure around the team and coaching staff. We have yeah. definitely, like, the largest coaching staff um, in Europe um, in LCS. Um, so, you know, for us, uh, not giving the, well, not giving Betis the 
support staff be needed was you know absolutely inexcusable and that's definitely an area where we 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 messed up you know um but at the same time you know we had a roster that dropped two games the whole of contenders season one uh, regular season you know so um which i would say is is not good it's 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 dominant right um yeah, Misfits going into um, Overwatch League were, I mean, yeah, they yeah. were one of the best European teams, like, no question. In, in the right, of course, you know. So, um, I mean, yeah, of course we were shocked, you know, but, um, you know, we also thought with the structure of how the league had breaks um, several times a season um, would play to that. But, yeah, like, um, there were, like, problems with visas and, like, other... Uh, small things, you know, along the way. Um, yeah. But yeah, like like I said, you know, no excuse from us and the coaching staff. You know, we take full responsibility for that. We fucked up. So so one big question right now is just, you know, I, I think in, uh, a lot of people are asking is just about the coaching staff. I mean, it's literally about Mineral, right? And, and Vitas is, is mm. his name, by the way, it, whenever Joe mentions him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, with Mineral, you know, obviously he took a break, you know, he had to take a break, you know, midway through. So um, explain that a bit more, you know, just from, the standpoint of the team and from mineral, it's just, you know, even from mineral standpoint. And because I, I think that there, a lot of people are viewing that in, in very weird ways, <laughs> you know, like that, I don't think mm. it's necessarily exactly the, you know, the, the, the true, true scenario that's that went on in terms of, of what happened there. So explain that a little bit, like in terms of just coaching staff in the beginning and, and, and then mineral taking that break and then so on. Sure. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, um, Obviously, like you can go anywhere on Reddit, on Twitter, wherever, right? Any form <laughs> yeah. of social media, and you'll see, you know, a lot of hate surrounding Vitus. Um, maybe because he left early, maybe because of our results last season. Um, but I mean, people need to remember that um, he was Misfits coach prior to of Watch League, um, and you know, we were very successful in Misfits, and he proved to us over a long period of time that he was very capable of being a good coach um, and a good leader. Um, and I really do attribute a lot of, um, you know, his, his downfall uh, on us in the fact that we couldn't provide, well, so not couldn't, we didn't provide um, the support staff around him um, that would enable him to succeed, you know? And when one man is doing like three or more people's jobs, you know, it does burn out the guy, you know? and he got burnt out um, and that's on us. Um, so, you know, what we did is, you know, he asked us if he could go home and we said, yes, you know, go ahead. Um, at this point in the season, you know, I'm not going to say it was, yeah, it, it wasn't looking too hot for us. Right. I mean, this is like, um, this is season two. This is like end we, of season two, yeah. like it's around, was it, it wasn't beginning of season three, right? It was like end of season two, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, a stage three. Yeah. Ish, yeah, yeah, yeah stage three. Was it stage three? Okay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's stage three-ish. Um, uh, don't quote me on that, but I believe it was around <laughs> okay. stage three. Um, yeah, like um, he uh, was obviously like very burnt out, and you know he went home. He asked us for a break, and um, of course we let that happen. It's not we didn't concede the season there. We had Ryder and Albert there, and we were very confident that you know they would be very capable. Um, you know, with the increased responsibility. Um, but of course it wasn't the same, you know, without Vitas. You know, Vitas was the head coach and, um, you know, many, many players in the team respected him, 
um, and looked up to him. So, you know, losing him was, um, yes, it was like a significant blow. Um, and that was on us. So, yeah, I'll talk about when, when he went home. So, obviously, he went home. Um, we actually got our sports psychologist from Misfits. Um, and we had him do sessions with Vitas every week try and bring him up to speed you know we said to Vitas, hey look man like um, do what you need to do to get back to 100% um, we'll provide any tools you need to do that um, and he said he wanted to keep busy so we actually started our trialing process um, I would say for obviously because um, the play like certain players that we scouted in our initial like contenders um, scout, I guess, or like uh, our contenders trials, um, are players that we would potentially look at for Overwatch League as well. You know, uh, I can't say that for sure now, but like, um, you know, back then we were trying to pick up as many pieces as we could that could potentially keep compete for a spot the next year. You know, and compete with the current guys we had um, for a spot on the team next year. You know, we always had the intention of letting the guys in the team fight for their spot. Uh, and also let players, new players coming in compete for those spots too. Um, so yeah, he actually led that whole trialing process from Europe. He did the European portion of the trialing. Um, we ran North American trialing with our contender staff. Um, and Korean, um, we couldn't do an exclusive Korean trial. But, you know, having Ryder, um, we were very well informed as well. Um, so yeah, you know, we kept tabs, we talked talk to a lot of the players, um, and you know, we um, really started like our rebuilding process at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, you know, he kept busy, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't him going home, uh, like just Doing having nothing. no contact whatsoever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, he, he just, he felt himself that he, he wasn't okay with himself, like not doing anything. You know, um, and, you know, while we wanted him to not, like, do anything that was strain his, uh, his, you know, well-being anymore, we wanted him to, you know, do what made him happy. And keeping busy was something that made him happy, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, um, yes, like, a lot of the hate is deserved on our results, you know, and but I think when with Vitas's situation in particular, that is on us. So, you know, this next year, um, again, it's no secret that we are keeping our coaching current coaching staff and we're also looking to expand as well. Um, uh, I want to see, you know, how these guys do when we do give them all the tools from the get go, you know, when we do provide the infrastructure around them because. You know, Vitas has shown that he uh, has been like a very successful and good coach in the past. Um, and we know he can do it. We know he has done it at certain points in the season. Like if you look at certain games we had that we lost, we're very close. You know, we had very, very close series with top, top teams um, very early on in the season. You know, so um, I don't think um, I don't think um, the hate he gets is necessarily deserved. And I think it should more be placed on us for um, that area, which we did, we did screw up in. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, going forward, you know, let's see how this guy does with investment and I'm sure he's going to turn some heads. Yeah, I mean, the, you guys had very, very little time where I feel like the three, you know, just at least Ryder and even Mineral together 
I even had a, a, a lot mm -hmm. of time to work together during the season. So, you know, Mineral did end mm -hmm. up coming back really super late in the season, or officially come back, right? <laughs> super late in the season. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, definitely cool that you guys are, you know, giving him another chance, you know, a, a, a fair chance, you know, and, and I would mm -hmm. say, like, you know, I, a lot of teams wouldn't do that, <laughs> I don't think. I mean, a, a lot of times the coaching is just the scapegoat, you know, of, of a bad season like, you know, the, the Mayhem had. So, um, uh, you know, I would say that's a, a positive there. So one thing, another thing too, just like, you know, right, you know, the whole logic stream that talked about Ryder saying that he sure. you know, wouldn't, he, he doesn't want to basically do anything with the team until they like figure out like basic things and you know, just kind of like summing it up. Um, clear that up a little bit because, you know, right. Is Ryder really like not going to work with them on basic aspects of the game, you know, and, and, you know, they, you know, is that actually true or is that completely something that's blown out of proportion? Look, uh, I don't want to try and throw anyone under the bus here, you know, but, you know, what I will say is, you know, there were right things that our coaches did, a lot of positives, but there were also some negatives as well. And, you know, stuff we want to improve on, um, you know, uh, we do strive for perfection. Um, that is not something we achieved. We don't think that is something that anyone can achieve, but, you know, we want to try and get as close to it as possible going forward, you know, and yeah. um, there will be things we do. Like I said, we will um, provide like additional infrastructure surrounding the team um, going forward. And, you know, also we will, um, you know, we'll be doing stuff with our existing coaching staff as well, which, you know, should put them um, in a good direction um, because we know they're capable of doing it, have done it. And, um, you know, we have faith that they will do it. So I want to ask this, why, like, at what point in the season did you have to ask yourself, do we blow this up completely mid-season or do we just stick with it and rebuild after? Um, we, uh, I would say, like, when it was mathematically impossible for us to make playoffs, we said, you know, well, we, I mean, we didn't decide, hey, we're going to blow this whole roster up. We're going to say, hey, you know, every um, space in this roster is up for grabs. Um, and, you know, if our existing players show um, the characteristics and the gameplay we're looking for, then sure, you know, we'll, you know, we'd be very happy to keep them, um, you know, for um, a longer time than we had already had them, you know, which was longer than every team in Overwatch League, right? You know, so for us, you know, we had a great time with these guys. And, you know, if we could continue that that um, streak of brilliant results we had uh, with the guys we had, like, prior to Overwatch League, you know, then great. You know, we would love to do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say, you know, hey, at any point we were like, yeah, fuck it. Like, we're going to blow this whole roster up. You know, that's, that's that. Like, like we had like a set like mindset going into, I think we tried to be as like open-minded as possible the whole way through this process. And, you know, clearly we're not done yet either. You know, we're still being as open-minded as possible. And, you know, um, we understand that there are like timing limitations for certain players, you know, so, you know, in our trialing process going forward, you know, we want to continue to be op as open-minded as possible and strengthen our Overwatch League team and our contenders team um, as much as possible going forward. Okay, well, um, maybe one last thing, I guess, before we, uh, you know, kind of wrap here. But, um, you know, I'd say just generally speaking, like, you know, what what are you hoping for for the, you know, the, uh, the team yeah. in season two? Like, 
what what are your goals for the season? You know, and try to be a little bit more specific than just oh, we want to be a good team. You know, win more. So I'm I'm kind of curious sure. as to what the very specific sure. goals are. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, there's a, there's actually like something that I'd like to address as well. Um, you know, because like I said, we want to be as transparent as possible with the community, with our fans, you know, everyone out there. You know, we really don't have, um, you know, anything to hide. Um, you know, I wanted to clear up the whole bus driver thing because I think that, okay. um, you know, like everyone had point. question marks about yeah. that. And I think, yeah, it's a meme and everyone still has questions about it, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd love to like give some insight sure. into yeah, that. Work. Um, sure, like, um, so, I mean, yeah, so our house, uh, that we had was in, um, Mid-City, um, about 10 kilometers, like, I, it was the top, like, kind of Koreatown, Mid-City-ish, um, about 10 kilometers from the Burbank Studios. Wow, that's Which is super a close. 20 minute, yeah, uh, 10, 10 kilometers, 10 miles, sorry, not kilometers, uh. Uh, sorry, I'm in Europe at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still close, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. Sorry, t 10 miles away from, you know, the studio, which is 20 minutes when you have no traffic. But, you know, obviously you have to factor in Los Angeles traffic. Um, and, yeah, you know, so sometimes, you know, we couldn't have left um, at a time that would have enabled the guys to arrive um, within 20 minutes, right? Um, but that 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 living situation was never a permanent living solution for us um, we actually had our eyes on something you know prior to overwatch league and like um we were securing it just as overwatch league started um but um what we have right now is we have um apartments um which are three minutes from the studio um no more than three three bedroom apartments and every single player has their own room so we have separate apartments all in the same building um which is not something that i can say like every other team does you know but i'm not here to compare us to other teams i'm just here to talk about what we do um so yeah like um you know our intention was always to move the guys into those apartments um they just weren't ready at the start of overwatch league but as you saw we actually moved i mean not right at the start but um not too late into the season um so yeah you know um we actually did ask our guys we said hey look like we can move you into some of the apartments that are ready um now um you know earlier on when they were ready or you know you guys can still have your own rooms in this house that we had mid-city which um again everyone had their own room you know i think even one of the bedrooms in there was like 24 by 15 feet you know, just God. to give you a scale wow. of the size of the house, you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, say one of the bedrooms, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, um, you know, we, we wanted to make sure their living situation was comfortable. Mm -hmm. And we understand that, you know, we were one of the older teams as well. Um, and, you know, regardless of young or old, um, one thing we learned in our time in League of Legends that, like, it's very beneficial for players to have their own rooms, to have a space where they can kind of, like, differentiate work and um you know and their kind of spare time um so like having their own private space is like very important and that's a promise we made to our players and coaching staff um and it's something we maintained and you know will mm -hmm. continue ma to maintain going forward um you know that's something that was very important to us we actually we actually did ask them as far as uh kevin driving the bus that was something that was not communicated to us 
Um, one thing that wasn't communicated to us until it became public um, was that um, the person who was supposed to be driving them at the time wasn't always doing it. Um, and, you know, we actually acted accordingly. And I'm not saying because of that, we, you know, we re reallocated our general manager at the start of the season to somewhere that suited his strengths better within Misfits. Um, and we actually got a new general manager, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So there were adaptations that we made throughout the season. You know, we were not okay with that. You know, that was something that was not good. Um, yeah, it was something that happened. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to shed some light on that whole situation because, you know, I do think it is a little blown out of proportion. But at the same time, yes, like he shouldn't have been driving, you know, it's not something we are okay with and it's not something we were ever okay with. But yes, there was mis miscommunication there. And yes, there was a lot of miscommunication happening last season. But I think uh, by the end of the season, um, even if our results were obviously um, not good enough to get us into playoffs, um, we had made a lot of adaptations in the infrastructure um, that made it like a good place for the players to be. And like I said, you know, our atmosphere was very good in the team. And I think part of that was to do with like um, the infrastructure we provided, you know, like we have a private chef, for example. Um, so, yeah, you know, like there are yeah, things so we do. A lot of changes this year. That's so yeah, you know, and I mean, there are th things we have done, you know, and things we will continue to do, and there are things we would like to add this year, you know, like um, around player health, um, you know, that we value, and you know, certain physical things, and um, perhaps sports psychology as well. You know, we're all lo we're looking into all these areas um, about you know where we can add um, people into this team, you know, in this family, and you know, hopefully. Um, we have, you know, a much smoother engine than we had last season. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, that, that definitely, Joe, thanks for coming on and, and obviously speaking to a, a bunch of these things because, sure. you know, again, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the community um, probably didn't know a lot of this stuff. So it's definitely great that, you know, you, you were able to come on. Um, but uh, I think that's it. We, that's all we got, though, today. Right, Ben? Like, uh, there's no Q&A this week. I don't think I had any no. questions from the, the audience. No, we're, we're, we're already well over time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Joe, I do really appreciate the transparency. You know, obviously, yeah. season one didn't go quite how you guys wanted, but uh, I like seeing you guys uh, address address everything transparently and openly and, and directly. And uh, good luck in the, in the next season. No, thank you very much. And, you know, thank you, thank you again for having me, guys. Yeah, of course, man. Definitely room for you being here in Florida, of course. So uh, looking forward to you know just the the new player announcements and everything that's going to be coming up in the in the next month or two or whatever. So me too. Uh, excited to see it. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, guys. So I think we're going to wrap up. Do some shout outs before we take off. Actually, Joe, when you know, you want to start us off, any shout outs you want to do before uh, we take off? Yeah, you know, sh shout outs to the Misfits fans. Shout out mm -hmm. to the Mayhem fans. You know, shout out to. Um, you know, the guys that were with us, you know, for a long time as well, um, you know, that we've released, you know, we, like I said before, I, I really hope that they land on their feet and, you know, best of luck to all of them. And, you know, um, we, you know, we've let them know individually what they meant to us as well. So, um, you know, I wanted to give a shout out to them and, you know, um, big shout out to our Mayhem fans as well. Cause I really think like, um, you know, no bias, of course, but I think, um, uh, the fans we have, um are fantastic and have been fantastic and you know super passionate and encouraging um despite our poor results this last season 
Um, so yeah, you know, big shout out to those guys, you know, and hopefully we'll give you guys, you know, more to cheer for than we already already did last year. Okay, Jacob, shout outs. Not too many shout outs, I will say, because he's in chat. Uh, Siegel, number one fanboy, thank you for giving me a laugh with your Elmo bomb memes every time I break a story. Um, that's always funny. Elmo bomb. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so just check check the reply of anything I've broken on in the last couple of weeks, and you'll uh, you'll find them. Um, shout out to ESPN for letting me be on the show. I'm glad I got to come on, and shout out to you guys for having me. I always enjoy it. Yep, always a pleasure. Uh, ben, how about you? Uh, not exactly shout outs, but some last words that I wanted to just give on the, uh, you know, the OWL news that broke this morning. Um, you know, it's, it, we had a lot to cover. So uh, I think it's awesome, by the way, that there's two Canadian teams. I don't think we directly talked about this, but oh. Canadian esports fans have always shown up. Every time there's been an event in Canada, the crowd has been hype. They've shown up. So I'm really happy for Canada. You know, it's not all negativity about not having European teams uh, as many as we'd like. I don't. I would have loved to see another Korean team, but Canada got what it deserves. Eight more teams for next season is going to be awesome. <laughs> and now I'm just going to be flipping on the the Twitch.tv slash Play Overwatch channel and watching World Cup for the rest of the day. I uh, can't wait to see boys in blue, the, the USA go at it later on today. Uh, that Canada-USA match is going to be insane. Sunday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that all the way in Sunday, but still plenty plenty to watch before then. But yeah, it was a great show. You know, I think this was our most dense show ever, probably by <laughs> probably, far. We yeah. like, we yeah. didn't talk about the gameplay like at all. We just, it was all industry, all background. Uh, but, you know, I hopefully some people enjoyed that, that type of stuff anyway. Uh, but yeah. To be honest, Great I think show. each of these segments could have been an entire show. So, you know, if, right. if we were doing it every week, I think we would have, you know, probably broken this up a bit. But because we don't do the show all the time, we did have to fit a lot in here. So, um, yeah. Anyways, thanks uh, to obviously Joe, Jacob, and uh, Ben and, uh, for doing the show with me today. It's definitely great you know we, we try to do it as much as we can guys i know you guys have been itching for some more but you know we're doing our best you can obviously oh, wait, oh, wait yeah what i have some late breaking news okay Sorry. What, uh, what? I, I, just, I just wanted to shout out uh humble bundle is doing a 12 dollar uh deal on overwatch okay i know like our oh, show shit. everyone why don't I know they just give it away for free? Our show right I mean, now, just give like, it away for free, please. I, I bet you Overwatch goes free to play in the next two to three years. But I mean, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Ninety-eight percent of people listening to this show already have Overwatch. <laughs> Actually, probably a hundred percent. But yeah, still good to shout out. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's definitely absolutely. Twelve bucks is almost cheap. I mean, I mean, almost free. I mean, so yeah. might as might as well grab a couple more accounts if you if you need them. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, let's see, lastly, uh, we're going to be doing some more of these, you know, chaos crew things around Florida for World Cup. So if you're in the Florida area, definitely be on the lookout for that. You can follow us on uh, Chaos Crew FL. Lonspons, you might correct me if I'm wrong for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, d definitely keep a lookout for that. Uh, you can find the show on youtube.com slash as well as all the audio channels. Um, you know, that includes iTunes, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud.com slash And uh, I think that's going to be it, guys. Yeah, so definitely check out World Cup uh, this entire weekend. USA, Canada, especially those fans. And until next time, for uh, Joel Alassi, Jacob Wolf, Fish Sticks, and myself, Cham V, we'll see you next time. Peace.